Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Our eight-week study this season is titled, But God. Each of us has a story with many various elements. The one element that outshines them all is the entrance of Jesus Christ into our story. Here's Jacqueline. We're going to study scripture. Um, I knew this morning that we were going to study Noah in Genesis 6 through 8. And I, my prayer is, and I'm pretty certain we're going to um, look into the heart, the story of Noah. I knew also that Acts chapter 10 was on my heart. A lot, Acts chapter 10, especially this morning. I'm praying over Noah and I'm praying over Acts chapter 10 on my way here. And I felt very, very clear that Acts chapter 10 will be a personal challenge for those who want it. We do not do homework here. We shun, wag our finger, tisk tisk at the word homework, but we do personal challenges. We meet the Lord and the Lord meets us like he always does as we are where we are. Uh, my encouragement to you is spend time in Acts chapter 10. See what Acts chapter 10 says to you and look for the key words, but God. You'll see but God twice in Acts chapter 10. Look for that. A word we're going to study today is the word remembered. And you're going to see remembered, that single word, that single action, that single verb, you'll see in Acts chapter 10 as well. Find that word remembered and see the context and see what happens and see what God teaches you what the Holy Spirit speaks on your heart with Acts chapter 10. Sound good? One story that was on my heart for this morning does not come from scripture, but scripture is written on it because scripture is written on all of his children. So therefore, I get to tell some of my story today. And you smile. Thanks. <laughs> that, that, was, that was cute. This is me on my knees praying over what we're going to talk about. And God's like, your story, your story, your story. And I'm like, no, but like Noah, Paul, Courtney, your story, your story. I'm like, oh, I tell you girls, you smile. Um, let's read scripture first. And then we'll pray. And then we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Whether it comes from scripture, I pray that it comes from scripture. And if God can use my story to grow you closer to the Lord today, I pray that God will use my story to grow you closer to the Lord today. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, I threw you a curve, right? We're not in Genesis or Acts. This is how we do. Psalm. <laughs> I love the wave, the, the murmur that went across. Hey, she said, Psalm, I was in Genesis. Psalm 63. We're just, we're simply going to read these beautiful words. There's 11 verses. This chapter is broken up for us in 11 verses. We're going to read all 11 verses, and then we're going to lay our words before the Lord. Psalm 63, it says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power, beholding your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. 
and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. It'll praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and as I meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, and I pray we hear the word seed of evil, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Do you not love the word of God? It is alive in its power every time. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, we could stop right here after reading Psalm 63. I pray each and every one of us feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the power, the words, the steadfast love of our Father, his protection, his care, his providence in our life speak to our hearts what we need as we are where we are. Mold us and melt us into the very creation you've created us to be. I pray for those who have demonstrated the seed of evil in our lives. We thank you now that you are the one that protects us, that you are the one that um, gives forth the vengeance, that stops the mouths of liars. And we thank you so much for that. And we claim that even for those that are alive today. Stop the mouths, Heavenly Father. Lord God, as we get together today, as we lay our Bibles open on our laps, I pray that you will speak as only you do. I pray that you'll use the story of Noah, his account, his life. I pray that you'll use that today. I pray for those that take on the challenge of Acts, that the story of Peter, that his story, that his words, his life will affect us today. I pray for the story of Cornelius. I pray that we'll read it as if we're hearing him talk his story personally and that his story, his life will affect us today. And Lord God, if you're willing, if you're wanting, I pray that if my story is worthy to be shared today, to to grow somebody closer to you, Lord, I pray that my story, my life will impact a life today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the precious blood and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 63 is good. Another one to jot down on our paper to study some more. Correction, it's a good one not to study. It's a good one to read. And there is a grave difference. Sometimes when we sit to study, we miss the love of Jesus. And we just want to talk about theory and we want to get into doctrine, and we want to prove our knowledge. Study is good. Know your theology. Know your doctrine. Know your knowledge, but don't know more than your love of Jesus. So Psalm 63 is a good, good chapter just to read. Read in prayer. Get on your knees. Have you ever gotten on your knees with open scripture, and that's all? Just get on, but I need to pray. No. (laughs) If you've been told, don't pray. Get on your knees and don't pray through your prayer list. Just open scripture. Let your eyes sit on his word and see what conversation happens. 
Really? Really? Try that. It's beautiful. Psalm 63. We're not going to be in Psalm 63 for the rest of the day. That was just to open us. Um, Genesis. In Genesis 6, we see Noah's story. And we see Noah's story go on from Genesis 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. You want to know Noah's whole story? Read those. You have a lot of challenges already, and we haven't even really started. You're welcome. Read 6 through 9 and just glean the whole story of Noah. Get to know him as a person and not as a Bible story. It's amazing what happens when you separate the two. See him, like be Noah, or pretend Noah's like your son, or Noah's your husband. Like read it in that mentality of like, what were those emotions that go with that sentence? Because we read it as a Bible story and we're like, oh, that happened and that happened fast. No, it didn't. Guy was 600 years old. There's a lot of stories and a lot of emotions going on. What are those emotions? Track those down. We're emotional creations. We know what emotions feel like. Understand through that reality. We're going to look at just a quick statement about Noah in Genesis 6, verse 9. It starts off by saying, these are the generations of Noah. I'm going to stop there. These are the generations of Noah. It groups up this verses that are above that and says, this is the generation of Noah, or this is the society of Noah. This is what Noah lived among. We could say that sentence, and oftentimes when we get together with our friends, we discuss the society in which we live. <laughs> there was one honest person. Do you ever get together with another friend or another human and discuss the society in which you live? Ever? Do you ever share something on a social media platform about the society in which you live? I don't have social media either. I'm like, nope, I'm out. Do you ever watch a news channel or read a newspaper and share a clipping, share something that you heard? Did you hear that this person did that? Did you hear that this company wants to push this agenda? And the words seed of evil, cross your head, cross your mind, pour out in your tears. And all you see when you look in the world around you is that seed of evil. That's where Noah says, these are my generations. This is my reality. So when we sit there with Noah to figure out what does he see around him, he sees only evil continually. That's what scripture says. In Genesis 6, 9, we see these are the generations of Noah. And then the very next sentence says, Noah was a righteous man. Can you hear Noah tell his story? He says, I lived, I lived in a very evil society. It was gross, but I was righteous. That's his story. That's his description. That's good. He saw himself as a man of God. He was recorded in scripture as a man of God. He was a righteous man. That's not a prideful statement to say. If you're being cocky and you're saying you're righteous, then that's not good. But if your heart is with God and you're walking with God and you're living with God and you say, yeah, I'm righteous. I know Jesus as my savior and he is in me and his Holy Spirit is in me and I have the mind of Christ and I am not perfect but I am righteous before my God. Be proud of that. That's him and you. That's not you. That's bragging on our God. He says, I was a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man. And he was blameless in his generation. Could you even imagine being surrounded by such evil in your society and still be blameless before God? 
not giving in to that evil society. Could you even imagine that? I hope you can because I can testify for each of you in this room that's what you're doing. Really? Yeah. You're blameless before God in an evil society. How's that for a description of yourself? And then it says this, Noah walked with God. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that Noah was perfect, right? We put labels on ourselves of our past. We look at our story and our stories that start as little as we could even imagine give us a label, give us a word, give us an identity, give us a personality, a trait that we just can't conquer. And we put that on our label. And we identify ourselves as that piece of our story. And we try to present ourselves pure and holy and blameless before God. But that word, that identity, just like clings to us like an awful, evil name tag. These are the truths. These are the same truths that could be said of you. Noah had issues. We see that in his story. Noah had issues. Why? Because Noah was born in the image of God, born with the seed of evil. But Noah also walked with God. And when he was surrounded by evil, he was blameless before God. That's amazing. Let that be our identity. We can be surrounded by evil and we could hear it and we can see it and we can smell it and we can taste it and we could be disgusted by it and we can pour prayer over it and we can be in contact with it at all times. But that doesn't mean that you yourself have taken that on unless you yourself, in fact, take it on. But just because you're surrounded by a society or a home of evil does not mean that that is your identity. Do you see the difference? Noah saw that difference. And seeing that difference, he walked with God. This is what we see of Noah. And then we read the story of how God called Noah to be a servant to do a work. And we could talk last week's lesson right here. Noah worked. Noah worked as God assigned him as a servant to work. That's what the whole passage is saying. Groove it up in one sentence from last week's lesson. Noah worked. He didn't understand why he worked. He didn't know exactly what flood meant. Isn't that amazing? This whole story is fascinating. The work that Noah was called to do, the work that he did with animals, with food. We have no idea if he was good with animals, but yet he was supposed to rain on all these animals. Anybody else have a comical scene in their head as he's tracking down all these animals? Imagine if he didn't like animals. If he really didn't like bears. What if he really didn't know how to farm or pick food, prepare food, whatever kitchen terminology you want to use? He had to do this. He had work to do. Maybe he's never done woodworking. And God's like, hey, will you build a boat? We have no idea what Noah's hobbies were, what his abilities were, what his talents were. But we do know that he walked with God. And in his walk with God, God's like, hey, I'm going to trust you with a plan. I'm going to trust you with a work. And Noah's like, hey. And he worked. That's amazing to me. That's what we see in six and what we see in seven. And then we go to verse eight. I'm sorry, chapter eight, verse one. We see in this whole thing, and I pray that as we look over the study to get, or on your own this week, as you look over these verses, that you see the dialogue, the relationship between God and Noah. God and Noah, God and Noah, God and Noah. This whole time, Noah talks to God and God talks to Noah. 
we see this ongoing relationship. We see them walking together, talking together, living together, working together. We see that good relationship. And then we see Genesis 8, verse 1. It says, but God remembered Noah. And in our terminology, we hear the word remembered, and we think, well, you have to forget in order to remember. So I think a lot of times in our language barrier, we get stuck right there. Or we just keep on reading so we can check off our reading assignment for the day. But we see this continual relationship between a man and God, working and walking and talking. And then we see God remembered Noah. We're like, at what point did God forget Noah? And the doctrinal answer is this, never. He never forgot Noah. He never quit talking to Noah. He never stopped walking with Noah. He never stopped helping him with work, calling him to work, helping him with his job. He never quit being God because God is the same today, tomorrow, always. So what does this remembered mean? Good question. What is happening in this context? This word remembered, it's, we see it throughout the Old Testament, and it's the same exact word every time you see the word remembered. And it's about God's steadfast love being revealed. God is remembering Noah, which means he is going to use Noah to reveal his steadfast love. As if that moment in time, that person in time is marked to be a resource catch this. He was marked to be remembered as a resource to pour out a visual of God's steadfast love. Up until this point, Noah didn't know why he was working. He knew that God told him, I'm going to destroy the world and I need you to build an ark and protect your family. He knew that. He didn't know what all that meant. Almost as if we know that Jesus is coming again and we know the book of Revelation is, is going to happen, but do you know what that means? Anybody detail exactly what revelation means? If you do, can you teach a Bible study for me? Please, I will be there. Noah was the same place we are today, living in an evil society, knowing that salvation is coming, knowing that something new is coming, and what he was called to do was to work. Work. Build an ark. Okay, done. Now what? Get some animals. Okay, done. Now what? Get some food. Huh. Oh. <laughs> okay, done. Now what? Get in the boat. Okay, now what? I will close the door. I will protect you. And that's what he did. And then at this time, after all the events happened, all the rain came down, all the dew went up, and everything was covered with water, at that moment, God, in that moment marked by God, God remembered Noah. And whenever you see, and this is a great personal challenge, if you have a Bible app or a old-fashioned Bible concordance, look up the word remembered. And if you have your Bible app and you use that little, I can never remember that word, magnifying glass, the, the search on your Bible app, put in the words God remembered. It makes it so easy. Put in the words God remembered and look at all of the accounts in which God remembers. And as you read each account, look and see what happened right after God remembered. Every single time the words God remembered is listed in scripture, something big happens. 
something big happens every single time the words God remembered is listed. Because it's at that moment that God's saying, I'm going to use this moment, this person marked by my name to pour out a revelation of my steadfast love. And right here in this story, what the steadfast love that he's revealing here is the very breath of life. The same breath of life that he created with Adam and Eve. He's giving a newness to live. And he called at Noah after this to do something. Live. Live. What do you want me to do? There's a world waiting. And it's coming through, through you. <laughs> Multiply. Be fruitful. Live. Same thing God told Adam and Eve. Same thing God tells us every time. Every time somebody new gets saved. You get saved and you're like, now what? What do I do? Live. But my life isn't great. Perfect. I am. Live. But my marriage, I know. Live. Because when you get saved in a hard marriage, what more powerful thing can God do through you and through your salvation than show your husband through the change that the Holy Spirit does in you? Not the change that you put on yourself. Remember, we talked about the flesh last week. But when you let the Holy Spirit change you, your husband's going to see that. And when your husband sees that, seed is being planted. Life multiplies. We see this with our children. We see this with our friends. We see this in our workplace. We see this in the impact of our past. When we live, when we simply live as we are where we are, big things happen. And it doesn't mean everything around you is going to be beautiful. But it means that you will look back and remember what God revealed through your story. This is what we see with Noah. I was talking to Dandy about the word steadfast love and about remembered uh, just yesterday. And she was saying, one thing that I love whenever steadfast love is mentioned about God, I'm going to get your words wrong. Yeah, top. Uh-huh. So whenever um, you see steadfast, or whenever I've noticed seeing steadfast in relation to God, it's always about his love. Mm. And then it, with us, it's about remain steadfast. Remaining steadfast. Thank you. I thought that was beautiful because we see steadfast love throughout Scripture. And it's about remembering, remembering. And I love when God remembers something, he uses that person to reveal his steadfast love through that person. When we remember, because you see that in the New Testament, that we remembered, we see that throughout scripture. We see this in Psalm 63. David remembered in the night on his bed, David remembered. What was he remembering? In the wilderness, he was in the wilderness in a bleak existence at the moment that he lay down on his bed, and I have a feeling his bed was not as comfortable as yours, hence wilderness. He's laying on his bed and he's remembering in the depths of his sorrow, surrounded by an awful situation, he lay down and remembered with joy. What was he remembering? The steadfast love of God. And it was through that, through the David's story, what is revealed but God's steadfast love. It's an ongoing cycle. It's a circle of God's steadfast love that he remembers and pours out through us so that we can see it. And then once we see it, we lay back on our bed and we're like, I saw that. I saw God pour his steadfast love through my life. Have you ever seen God pour his steadfast love through your life? 
may we remember our story in that lens. He shared a little bit about myself on week one. Not fun stories, little tidbits of information of what happened to me in my childhood. If you're curious about that and you missed week one, it's available. Just contact the girls, they'll, they'll get it for you. Shortly after my life, I grew up, got out of the house. That's always a good day is when you get to get out of the house. I um, graduated from Bible college and during that time I fell in love with this guy uh, named Don, foot taller than me, absolutely amazing. I was dating a couple of different people um, because that was a hobby and a good source of food. <laughs> and I was a very clean dater because I was very grossed out by stuff because of the way I was raised. So a guy, um, one guy came in to kiss me once at my door, dropping me off, and I said out loud, oh, gross. <sighs> Terrible. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Terrible. He never asked me out. <laughs> Again, strange. Strange behaviors of some. So I'm dating a couple of people, and then this tall military guy comes to my uncle's church, the same church that I was raised in, the same church that had the reputation, the same church in which my mother's husband was the commander of the children's program, this same church. And one day on Valentine's Day of 1999, this tall, amazingly good-looking military guy strolls in, and he sits down, and he was, be he was in front of me, so I'm behind him, and I'm looking at his head and he's turning his head and looking at his jaw and I'm like man he got saved that day Valentine's Day 1999 he grew up going to church he knew Jesus he knew the name of God he knew Jesus died on the cross and that was it he didn't know anything more he didn't know anything more he never never in all of his days did he hear that Jesus died on the cross for him he never knew that he never in all of his days knew that Jesus Christ rose again. He never knew that until Valentine's Day of 1999. 99, then he knew that. And my uncle was an old school Baptist preacher and altar calls. Remember altar calls? And there was an altar call that day. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, come forward. And this tall, amazing, jawed man stands up and goes forward. I got to go out to lunch with him that day. You know, it's the good godly thing to do. <laughs> amazing, amazing man. I quickly, we quickly became friends. I can't say we quickly fell in love because we just knew we were friends. I knew he was way too good for me. He knew I was too good for him, which is amazing. Externally, he was out of my league. Spiritually, I was out of his. These are our mentalities. So we went out for ice cream, Cold Stone, all the time. We went to Starbucks coffee all the time as friends. I have boxes of letters from your friend, Don. He wrote me all the time while I was at college and he was in the military. He was my friend. We became instant friends until one day his mother was like, when, when are you going to admit that you're more than friends? So finally, we were like the last of everybody that knew us. We love each other, really? Welcome to knowledge. <laughs> we got married July 14th, 2001. It's our wedding day. The day of the sad cake, smushing. <laughs> and we're back. 
At that point, we started helping a new church start. Okay, so we were no longer at my uncle's church in that internally toxic environment. My husband knew nothing about that toxic environment because our perception is different, isn't it? And I do apologize for anyone in this room that does not know what I'm talking about from my childhood. I didn't tell my husband because I knew if I told my boyfriend, if I told my fiance, if I told my husband, he would leave me because who would want to be with somebody who is damaged, hurt, gross. I, I knew he wouldn't stay. I knew he would leave me. So, you know, Pandora's box locked it with another lock. Let's add an, let's add a bolt on that one. So I didn't say anything. And then we were helping a new church start and there was like, you know, a dozen, two dozen people at this church. And I was like, oh, new beginnings. Got the protection of my husband, new church. Let's do this. Two people decided to come over and help start this church as well. My mother and her husband. So for the next five years, that was our church environment. The church never grew, never got more than a couple of dozen people. I was the Sunday school teacher, the Sunday morning child's teacher, the Sunday night child's teacher, the Wednesday night child's teacher. At the time I was a child's teacher. I was a teacher at school, a first grade teacher, and I taught children Bible. That's it's what I did. I didn't talk to women. I didn't like women. I didn't know how to communicate with women. And I talked to my husband. And I went to church with my mother and her husband. And that's what we did. During that time, we got married in February. We got married, I'm sorry, in July. Started that church. In that, and I started a new job, started teaching. That February of our first year of marriage, I was at school, at the school I was teaching at, walking up the stairs to get something from the secretary's office upstairs. And halfway up the stairs, my leg stopped. I couldn't walk. I literally could not take that next step. So I grabbed my pant leg and I moved that leg up. I'm like, this is really weird. I was a runner. I loved running. Not a fast runner, but I was a faithful, consistent runner. And I grabbed my next leg and that's how I went the whole rest of the way up. I got to the office door and I'm shaking and I'm tired and I did my paperwork and I'm standing there confused, you know, internal dialogue with my father who's been with me since I was three, telling God something's not right with my legs. I took the elevator down, walked back to my classroom just fine. Like that was, that was weird. Went home, told my husband, we're like, that was really weird. Went back to school. A couple weeks later, I'm doing a spelling bee. I was head of the spelling bee of the private school system of Las Vegas at the time. You know, fun volunteer opportunity you get when you're a new teacher. <laughs> Initiation. And I was at the church that was hosting, and I was in charge of making sure everybody was signed in, which is comical because I don't do admin work. And I was in charge of getting everybody signed up and logged and corrected. And I'm right-handed, and I couldn't move my right hand. My right hand was clubbing and doubled its size and purple and hanging like a child was hanging off my arm. So I'm signing and I love my handwriting. I worked hard on my handwriting and I'm trying to sign my, my signature with my left hand and pretending that I'm okay because I was in charge and I was 23 and I'm, I can do this myself. And after hours and hours of going through this day in the back of my head wondering what's wrong with my arm, but I have to perform, I have to finish my day, I went home and I go like this to my newlywed husband, I'm like, Something, something's not right. 
So this, during the five years of starting a church, a very small church with my mother and her husband, I was starting the realm of being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And when you know anything about multiple sclerosis, we were told very quickly, you need to have multiple attacks before anything is shown. Hence the name multiple sclerosis. 16 MRIs later, I finally got lesions show up in the MRI. Three on my brain, two on my spine, explaining why my legs were jerking all the time, explaining why I had to quit teaching that elementary class of first grade students, why I had to get a full-time set because I could no longer walk in a wheelchair. Couldn't even use my cane anymore. This was my surrounding. It was during this time that I looked in the mirror and all I saw were my lesions. It's all I saw. I didn't see my eyes or my smile or my hair. I didn't see any. All I saw was deformity and it was disgusting. I, I couldn't. But my husband looking at me with wantedness made me throw up for him. Why would you still be attracted to me? I'm damaged. I'm gross. That was a very hard journey. Very hard for my husband to have to prove to his bride, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're lying. You're not right. Messed up in the head. I was going through these emotional battles. Very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. During this time, it's a fun four-year season of my life where everything was just a turmoil around me. And during this time, I'm at this small church and a family member was there who said a statement and I finished her statement. And she looked at me shocked and said, how did you know what I was going to say? And it had reference to do with my upbringing. And I said, because I was, I, that was my life. I didn't know that my husband heard that conversation. My Pandora's box opened. It wasn't supposed to open. I was in the privacy of a little small office having a conversation with a family member. My husband didn't need to know. My husband was going to leave me that day. I knew he was going to leave me. So here I was at like 20, let's call me 25, married for two years. Married to the best man I've ever known for two years. He knew nothing of my story. So we had two different cars because we were, you know, set up church. So he went early to do the man setup. I got there late to do the girl setup and I left in my car. Went home, got in the shower, because what better place is there to shed all your tears than in a shower? And I went home crying, trying to gear up to say goodbye. The only time I ever cry when I remember my stories, when I talk about my husband's love, my God's love, and my son. Other than that, I can talk about my story, no tears ever. Ugh, boys in our lives get me every time. He walks in that door. We sit on the guest bed in our tiny little rental house and he listens to my story and he doesn't just listen to my story he hears my story he hears my story and he looks at me and he says it wasn't your fault and he stayed there he wasn't angry he wasn't mad he did he not, he just sat he sat next to me like a friend sits next to a friend on a guest bed. I did not want to sit on my marriage bed and have this conversation. So I took him to the guest bed. I'm like, we're going to sit there if you're going to leave me. And he listened to my story. 
And then I saw a change happen on his face. And I'm like, here it comes. And he stands up and he makes a phone call. And he calls my mother's husband and told him that he was not right. And he had a conversation like a man with another human. And he fended me. He never left me. All he did was love me. I, I, I don't have a word, don't have a word to describe my husband. Those four years were the hardest years in so many ways. I ended up going to a counselor because I couldn't even leave my house without feeling bad for anyone who had to be in my presence. I was an emotional wreck. I was a physical disaster. I was, I, I was a mess. Every single part of me was a mess except for one. I had my God. I always had my God. And I fell asleep in his arms in tears every night during those four years, same as I did growing up, falling asleep in his arms, knowing that my day was awful, but right now I'm held and I'm safe and I'm secure. Those were very, very hard years. On July 14th, our fourth wedding anniversary, my husband and I were back in the neurologist office getting the most recent MRI result. And as I'm sitting there with my husband, not in a wheelchair, not with a cane, but with two working legs, my neurologist said, what, what happened? How did you walk in? And I told him, he didn't believe me, but we sat there next to my husband on our anniversary day. God is so, so good. And he puts up my last recent MRI and the, the lesions. And then he puts up the newest MRI right next to it. There's none. There's not one. This neurologist is the top neurologist in the Las Vegas Valley. And he says these words to me. He says, once a lesion comes, it does not go away. There is no medical explanation for those lesions to be gone. He says, all I can say is this. I don't believe in God but I know you guys do. And that's all I can say. We stood up out of that office, walked out, his two legs and my two legs, walked out of there and we got our anniversary gift from God. God healed, erased multiple sclerosis out of my body. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of the hardest things I had to do, God's like steadfast love. God remembered Jacqueline. And when I lay in bed and I think back to God's steadfast love, that story every time comes to mind. If I were to put the words, God remembered Jacqueline over any part of my story, it would be in that, that time period. And it's not because God forgot me. It's because God used me at that moment to pour his steadfast love through me. We were married for four years. No, it was just the two of us. No babies, no chance of a baby. I told Don over dinner at our favorite Chinese restaurant that day. We never gave gifts to each other, never gave anniversary gifts. Christmas, yes. <laughs> but anniversary gifts, we never swapped. And then I gave them a prayer list that I had for a year and I'm not going to go into this whole story and I actually praise God right now that I don't because I can never make it through it. I gave um, 
my husband a prayer list that I was praying for that he didn't know about. And it was about babies. I did not want any, never did. Um, but my husband is a family man. And the very last thing on my list of prayer between me and God was my lesions have to be gone. It was kind of like me telling God, I know. <laughs> I know my husband wants a baby. He would never ask. He would never make me feel bad. But if I did consider, you have to fix my lesions. When I'm in the neurologist's office, I kid you not, the first thing that crossed my mind, forgive me, were these words, crap. <laughs> That's so human. That was July 14th, December 17th of that year, we found out we were pregnant. I couldn't do that. My body couldn't do that, but my body did that. God remembered Jacqueline. And when we go to Psalm 63, in verse 5, it says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He's in the wilderness saying these words. But then he says, when I remembered you upon my bed and I meditate you on the watches of the night, which means he's wide awake in the middle of the night. Have you ever been wide awake in the middle of the night and you just can't sleep? What do you do when you just can't sleep? You know what David did? He remembered the moments in which God remembered David. He says, you've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, our stories are so vast and they're so deep. And when we see our stories through the lens of but God, they become so beautiful and so rich and so immensely powerful in displaying your steadfast love. I don't know why you choose to do what you choose to do, but I thank you. I thank you with shouts of joy and proclamation that you do. Lord, I thank you that when I look back at those four years and I look back to how hard those were, that I look back and I see the beauty of what you did. I thank you for my husband. If I can publicly thank you for my husband, I say thank you. I thank you for the gift of my son. I thank you for using these two men to reveal your steadfast love. That blows me away. Absolutely amazes me. I pray for every girl right now as she remembers her story, as she looks back at her life, as she sees herself on her bed in the watches of the night. I pray that you will remind her that you see her, that you remember her. Bring those memories. Bring that vision to mind so that their story becomes an entirety of but God. Because, Lord, you are our story. Through the giving of the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through our belief that he came, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again, in that we are new, and that we are in you, and that we are who we were called and created to be. And in that, we proclaim the words, but God. Oh, in the sweet and most powerful name of Jesus Christ, we lay every single one of these words for your kingdom, for your power, and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WI Online. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.